Welcome to week one and Beyond Limits uh, is a six week scriptural journey into embracing supernatural possibility. And I know that's a mouthful to say, but I was very particular in the way that I crafted that statement. And so one of the things that I want to make sure that I said in the email, but I want to reiterate it is that in no way, shape or form, am I trying to project what I think is a right or correct view of things on you and say, believe this because this is truth. Uh, what I want to do is what the Lord has done in my journey and has allowed me to see things from a different perspective and just share some of those experiences and perspectives and allow you to journey with the Lord and wrestle with the Lord and hear scripture uh, presented in a, maybe in a different way um, that would essentially open your mind to um, possibly a new way of thinking, but also help you to, if you have in any way, shape or form, put God in a box to dismantle the box and the walls that we've created um, in, in our faith. And so um, again, I want to call it a journey. And so we're going to go together and I'm going to present certain views. I'm going to make cases for possibility. And so really the idea behind the class is I want to always ask the question, what's possible. And so in my personal journey in my faith and my walk with the Lord, um, things began to change for me. Um, I'm, I, I tend to be somewhat of a, a, of an argumentative kind of individual, but not in a way that I like to have conversation with people about certain things and, and the faith. And we have a whole podcast that we talk about stuff, but the idea is that I, I like to explore and ask questions and not, not always because I'm trying to like beat somebody in an argument, but because there's always there's always either two sides or multiple sides to a story. I mean, the scriptures are so multifaceted and I just want to describe them like this. And this is how I describe the Christian faith, but I think also the scripture is kind of like a diamond. It's not a heads or tails. Like there's one side and then there's another side. It's that it's like a diamond. It's multifaceted. And when you start to engage the different facets of the diamond, you really start to see it for its intended beauty and without the light hitting that diamond, so the spirit enlivening or enlightening us, giving us revelation to the meaning of the scripture, well, then we never really see it in its beauty, but it's multifaceted. So we can see uh, doctrine or theology or belief from one side, but then we can spin it and see it from another and see it from another and see it from another. And so if you're seeing this side of the diamond and it looks different than this side of the diamond, doesn't mean that it's opposing. It means that it's making a cohesive view, right? So we have a God who is so multifaceted that he had to, and he is still showing his glory and his beauty, who he is, and he's doing it through people. He put his image on people and there's been billions of people that have existed. And it's taken each one of those individuals displaying a certain aspect of God for us to get a larger picture of who he is, not one person, right? You said we get Yeshua who came in the fullness, but none of us display all of the radiance of the glory through us individually. We need the body. And so we need different experiences. Uh, we need different viewpoints, vantage points, perspectives in order for us to um, really get an idea of um, who the Lord is. And so that's kind of how I want to um, present some of what we're going to be talking about during this class. 
so I think I, I was going to make this statement that things for me and my personal journey started to change when I began asking the question, what is possible rather than asking the question, what's biblical. And I know for some people that ruffles their feathers because we're, we've been taught we're supposed to always be biblical, always be biblical. What does the Bible say? We got to be right. We got to be right. And so just because, um, just because something's not recorded in the scriptures doesn't mean that it's not possible, right? Like for instance, my marriage to my wife, the Lord spoke to her two years before we got married, that she was supposed to marry me. She didn't read in the scriptures. Thou shalt marry Jason. So it's not in the scripture, but it's something that happened, right? So we can't, I I don't think we can put ourselves or the Lord in a box and say that everything that has ever happened or will ever happen has been recorded in scripture. Obviously not. Um, scripture does say that we're all living epistles. And so Paul was saying, you're a living epistle. You are a living letter. You are a living testimony. You're a living, um, example of what it's like for the Lord to interact with a human being, um, throughout in history. And so anyways, I can go on this stuff all night long, but I just want us to begin to possibly open our minds and and just be open to And thinking about this question, what is possible? So what I'll do each week is I will, um, at the end of the class, ask a question, ask the question, so what's possible? And then I'll give a statement. And so we're just going to try and embrace possibility. And you'll have to wrestle with what you think is possible based on the things that I present with the scriptures. So does that all make sense? Everybody good? All right, let's do it. So this week... It, it's funny because I did this last last class too, is that every week I say, this is one of my favorite weeks to teach. I just love teaching all of this stuff and talking about this stuff. I get so excited. Um, so um, this week we are calling dealing with the issue of mixture. And so you may be asking yourself the question, what in the world? So let me try and paint a little bit of a picture. And I like to use the example of Frankenstein. So Dr. Frankenstein created a monster, right? He took different parts from different entities, beings, um, creatures, and he pieced together this shell of a body. And then he put in a brain and a heart, and then he shocked it with electricity and it came to life. And so This idea of something being Frankenstein is you're taking little pieces from here and there and you're building something out of it. And so he, he created a monster. Um, and if we remember that that monster was actually kind of dumb, right? Didn't really have, um, it just not a smart being. Um, and I'm not saying about that about us, but to make the connection, um, I think what we've done over time with our faith, and I was just talking to my nephew about this earlier is that. You know, I was from the womb to the pew. So I was born into the church. My mom worked in a nursery watching the kids during church. Some of you know what it's like to be in kids ministry. So my mom did that. She was in the nursery. My dad was a deacon for a little while. Um, he was also a missionary to Mexico and he uh, did the bus ministry So my family is very involved in church. I saw volunteering. I saw serving. I I saw all of that. 
but I grew up in this small Baptist church in, uh, in Houston, Texas. And when I was about 14, I left that Baptist church to attend a charismatic, somewhat slightly Pentecostal church. So you can imagine the shock. And so I went from that conservative Southern Baptist to Pentecostal charismatic, speaking in tongues, raising hands, Holy Spirit experience, like all kinds of craziness. Um, and went, you know, so I've had anyways. So then I went to different churches and served in different capacities, helped start ministries, did pastor, did all this different stuff. So over time I have consumed probably hundreds of hours worth of sermons. I've read tons of scripture. I've had a lot of information. I've watched a bunch of YouTube videos. I've sat in conferences. And so I have consumed a bunch of knowledge and all of that knowledge has been pieced together over time. And I have essentially built my faith out of all these different pieces. What if I've created a monster in the way that I have sourced the things that I believe about Christianity and my faith? It's a simple what if question. And so I'm going to use some scripture to talk about how I believe that we're, we're shown that this has happened and it's actually an issue. And the Lord came to correct that, but we have to go all the way back to Genesis to talk about it. So there's this mixture, this idea that we've gathered all these things and we've mixed them together. And we've said, here's my faith. Here's my, my doctrines. Here's my theology. And so in this class, I think we have to number one, be a little bit vulnerable and a little bit open and maybe think and just entertain the idea that maybe we don't know it all, that we don't know everything, that we're not right about everything and realize that we've probably sourced from different places in some, dif some different uh, various shapes and forms. And so um, let me just read this, uh, this scripture or excuse me, this sentence, we've taken what others have said about who he is and tried to force that into our experiences and understanding. So um, we hear testimony, we hear about different things from different people. And, uh, and we take all of those things and we just kind of add it on and pack it on to what we believe about, um, about God. And so we're going to see in scripture that um, this mixture thing can be an issue. So let's, let's dive in. I'm going to start with Genesis chapter two, and we're going to look at verse 15 through 17. And this is man in the garden. And I want to just consider this being the birth of religion. Maybe you've not heard this talked about in this, in this fashion before, but um, let's consider it. So I want to, I want to define religion very simply so religion, re, there are religions, right? There's Christianity, there's Buddhism, there's Islam. Those are religions. But when we're talking about religion, I'm talking about kind of a spirit of religion or a system of religion in kind of a negative fashion. So Jesus came into the world when Judaism um, was led by the religious leaders and they were presenting law and there wasn't necessarily life and freedom found in that law and the way that they presented it. And so some of us have taken on a set of belief beliefs and a system that 
has been a way of law in our life and the law only brings death as we're going to see. And so this is how I want to, to maybe consider that. Um, and so this simple definition of religion is God's word plus man's word. So give me one second. I'm going to mute somebody. All right. So let's just consider God's, what God says plus what man thinks God means is what I'm going to use is just a simple definition of religion. We're going to see the scripture kind of talks about it. So uh, Genesis chapter two, verse 15 through 17, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will surely die. So let me just hammer down on something real quick. Um, what's the first part of the commandment that God gave? So a lot of times when we think about commandment, we think it's either like a lot of times we think it's do not, or it has to do with sin, right? Like, well, he gave us his commandment so we wouldn't sin. And that's true. But in this instance, he says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Did you know that that, that was a command? You are free to eat that he's, he's telling Adam to be obedient to being free to eat from any tree in the garden. I love that. The first part of the words that God spoke to man concerning a commandment was you are free. And a lot of us, we've journeyed this faith under a sense, not of freedom, but of being bound or chained or limited. And so it's like, well, he gave us this so that we wouldn't sin, which is partially true because the other part of the commandment, I believe that is the do not, right? So you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is meant to support the freedom. The commandment wasn't given just for the, just for the restriction. Do you understand that? He didn't just say, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, first, you're free to eat of any tree. And let me just tell you, there was only one tree in the garden he, they couldn't eat from. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Did you know that there was the tree of life that was also in the middle of the garden? They were free to eat from that tree as well. So all of the trees that were good for food and good to look at, they were free to do that. And so the restriction was only to enhance the freedom, right? Not to limit it. And we've got to get our minds wrapped around that in Christ, we are free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It is for liberty that Christ has set us free. If in any way, shape or form, we have taken on a mentality that I can't, I can't, I can't, I shouldn't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And that is the primary focus of our Christianity. We've woefully missed the freedom that is a part of our relationship with the father. I just have to hammer down on that real quick. So there's the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. So there's this idea that we can know what is good and know what is evil, but even the knowledge of good brings death. You guys ever thought about that? You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the penalty of eating of that, consuming that is death. So the penalty the fruit of eating from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even if you eat of it and gain 
knowledge of what is good, you still die. Do you know this? And so this whole idea of like being right and wrong, that's, it's like law and it only brings death. And so just consider that. So what I want to talk about, what I want to help push you into is life. Let's eat from the tree of life. Let's consume from the tree that brings life. Let's have a different source for knowledge of good and evil, not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but from the father who is the father of all things. And in this moment was establishing himself as the source for truth and as the source for knowledge of good and evil. So the father says, Adam, you're free to eat from any tree. So he's saying, here's what's good, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you'll surely die. Here's what's bad. Had, did you ever think that in this moment, have you ever seen that the father is establishing himself as the source of knowledge of good and evil in that moment? He's saying, I'm the one that tells you what's right and wrong, not this tree. And so let's, let's keep going because you're going to see how, what happens and how things kind of progress from here and uh, what kind of happens to humanity over time. So Genesis three, verse one through five. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So number one, the serpent questions the authority or the source of truth. And then the woman says to the serpent, you may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And then Satan says, or the serpent says, you will, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good from evil. So number one, what's happening here is Satan is actually going against the freedom that Adam and Eve have by the commandment that God has given them. He's not focusing on the freedom they've been given, but he's focusing on the restriction, the sin, the evil. He's focusing on that and then questioning whether or not God is their source of truth. And he's basically saying, look, if you eat from this tree, you'll be like God. And so if you can be like God and know good from evil, you don't need God. If you can use the scriptures to determine good and evil, do you need God? I mean, just a question, my friends. So here's what happens. Look at this. Look what happens. This woman, Eve, she says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. God did say that. Uh, and you must not touch it. God did not say that. So you've got what God said, and then you've got what man added. So where did that come from? This is merely speculation. We don't really know where it came from. But it is just like man to take a commandment of God and for the purpose of hoping to not get so close to doing what is wrong, to take a couple steps back and draw a line and make that the commandment for safety. So Adam was created before Eve. Adam was given the commandment before Eve was created. Adam would have logically in this 
this thought process, Adam would have had been the one to communicate to Eve what she could and could not do in the garden. Hey, here's the garden. We're placed here. We can eat. These are the animals. That's a pig. That's a chicken, you know, like, and so anyways, he's showing, showing her the ropes of life in the garden with God. And it's like, Oh, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can eat from everything. We're free to eat from everything, but we can't eat from that. And we can't touch it. He, maybe he said that, or maybe she said it, but somewhere along the way, you've got what God said. And then you've got an addition to what God said. So you have the original intent and the truth in its purest form from the source of truth. And then you have something that's been added. So let's just talk about real quick. This is the easiest thing to talk about is drinking is drinking a sin. The Bible says, don't get drunk, but somewhere along the way we say, well, don't drink. And then you won't get drunk. And so all of a sudden drinking is a sin. Nobody ever said drinking is a sin. Getting drunk is a sin, according to the scriptures. So someone along the way for the purpose of safety said, well, if you just don't even take the drink and if you don't go to the bar, well, then you'll never get drunk if you don't put yourself in the situation. And so we draw lines to try and maybe be more holy, like, hey, that's sin over there, but I'm going to keep a distance of 10 feet. Well, this guy over here is keeping a distance of 50 feet. And so he's more holy because he's further away from the sin. Well, that's now you've got religion going because he, this guy 50 feet away starts saying, well, God doesn't even want you close to that. Well, nobody said that. He just said, don't do this. He didn't say stand 50 feet away. So do you get where I'm coming from? Over time, Man has taken what God has said and he has added to it. She has added to it. We have added to it. Our thoughts, our interpretations, and you might even argue like, well, you're doing it now. We, we've got to wrestle through this stuff. And I'm not saying take what I'm saying. It's truth. I'm just saying, let's consider it. And my whole purpose in all of this is to point you back to the true source of truth, who is the father. So, Interestingly, we get the Torah and the Talmud. So what happens after this is um, Eve somehow thinks that you can't eat of it and you can't touch it. So we've got what God has said, what man thinks, and then this is her belief system. And so then she eats of it, man falls. So the Lord ends up handing down law. So he gives the law to Moses and we get the, we get all these laws, the Levitical law, the moral law. And so he gives all of these laws, these rules, these commandments, these guidelines to all of Israel, to all of his people, and they begin to try and follow those rules. And then you've got the religious leaders who are the ones who are saying, okay, here's what the law says. Now let's try and figure out what that actually means. So you've got the Torah, which are the first five books of the Bible, and then you've got the Talmud. So the Talmud is actually the law with the rabbis and the religious leaders, the, the teachers, the Pharisees, Sadducees, whatever, their idea of what God really means. For instance, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So then they got together and they said, what's work? Well, you shouldn't walk this far and you shouldn't uh, carry a rock or you shouldn't bridle your donkey, or you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. So they took what God said. God just wanted them to set apart a day of rest to be with him and honor him in, um, and, and essentially mimic what the Lord did on the seventh day and rested. And there's so much more to it, right? There's feasting, there's remembrance, there's all this stuff, but they said, okay, so we're just supposed to do this one thing, but then they made all these rules 
of what they thought work was and what that really meant. And so then now they've got a religion that they just created around a law that was from the source of truth. And so I think this has happened over and over and over again. Jesus addresses this in Mark chapter seven, verse eight through 13. He says, you leave the commandment and hold to the tradition of men. Isn't that what we just talked about, right? So can you imagine that had Eve not eaten or Adam and Eve, they both ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They both ate of it. Imagine had they not, and then they started having kids that, and you should not touch it would have passed, been passed down to their children. So let's just say they made it to another generation that, and you must not touch it would have gotten passed down. You see how that works. And so finally, Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, you've left the commandment of God. And now you hold your tradition of men. This is what you think you you've come up with this. This is the original meaning. And so you've actually abandoned this, what God said. And now you just do this, which is not the commandment of God. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So Jesus addressed a group of people who had taken what was intended as a true word and a true truth from the source of all truth, and they added to it so that now what they pass down is only tradition and have completely left what God had intentionally or essentially originally intended. Can you see how this idea of religion and tradition that has an addition, a mixture, is can threaten a, a true understanding and a true knowledge, deeper, more inter, intimate, free relationship with the father. Can you see how that could be detrimental to what the Lord originally intended? It has happened in scripture. It happened in the garden. It happened with the Torah, with the Talmud. It happened in Jesus's day. He had to address it. And so what makes us think that we've essentially evolved since then? I was talking to my, my nephew earlier and there are roughly 33,000 different sects, S-E-C-T-S, of Christianity. 9,000 alone within Protestantism, even 300 alone in Catholicism, 120 within Orthodoxy. These are just rough numbers. But these are how many ways people have split over what they think the Word of God means and how that manifests itself in practice and belief. So do you see how this has continued, right? Would we not have like a one world religion under Christianity if that wasn't something that man did? And so I'm not here to just bash on that. I'm here to say, what do we do? Ask the question, what do we do? Well, Jesus being who he is, Yeshua being who he is, he gives us an answer. And so let me make this statement that we'll dive into the scripture. I'd argue that the Holy Spirit is the primary source of truth in the Christian life using scripture as a guide. And I just want to add 
um, and experience um, as a teacher. So what do you mean by that? John 16, we'll look at scripture. John 16, 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, Jesus says, more than you can now bear. So he's talking to his disciples. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he, the spirit of truth, will guide you into all truth. So Jesus basically is saying the source of all truth is coming and it's a he. And so interpret that how you will. The source of all truth is a he. It is he, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the wind, the breath of God, the mouth of the father speaking to his creation by his spirit. We exist in a revelatory relationship with the father. And we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks. Yahweh has revealed himself to mankind over time by his word, by his speech. It was by his word, him, the creator speaking, not the written, not the things that were written down that he spoke, right? It's not like he wrote down, let there be light. And then all of a sudden there was light. So why do we think that all of a sudden we write down the other things that he says, and that that's still the breath of God moving. We have the things that the father's written and those things are still true. Or we have written the things that the father has said, they're still true and there's still power in those things. But I would argue that it's not the breath and the mouth of God speaking. And so the spirit is the guide that will lead us into all truth. It says he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what's to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said that the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So he's got his disciples and he's saying, I've been with you. We've spent roughly three years together. You've seen me do miracles. You've heard me speak. You've, you've seen me in, 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 uh, in places that nobody else has seen me. We've had conversations that haven't made it into, aren't going to make it into scripture because if everything that I did was written down, there wouldn't be enough books to hold it. So there are things that I'm going to do and that I'm going to say that aren't going to make it in a book because there's too much. And so your source for truth is a spirit that I'm going to send to you. And the things that I have to say to you will be revealed to you by him. Your source of truth in this life will be the spirit of God. And so, woo, something else. So here's what's not happening in this instance. And I get a lot of crap sometimes because it sounds like I, I'm like trying to go poopy on the Bible or whatever it is, or poopy on scripture. I'm using, it's a scriptural journey. So I'm using it. There's value in it. I see value. In it. I love it. It excites me. Do you see me coming to life talking about this stuff? There's something else going on. I love the scriptures. They have a purpose. They have a place. But what's not happening here is Jesus teaching the disciples about a new, a, a new role of scripture in the life of a believer. They had the Torah. They even had the Talmud. And he's not saying, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to lead you into all truth. And so what you need to do is start a, a, a Torah study 
on Sundays at 6 p.m. and you're going to meet every single week and there's going to be a curriculum and you're going to go over these things and you're going to do word study and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not advocating for deeper study of the scripture. He's advocating for a dynamic and real supernatural relationship with his spirit that will reveal to his disciples truths and things that he has to say and not only things that he has to say, but things that he has to show. And so that's something else. Let me tell you a quick story. I grew up in Houston in 2010. Um, I prayed a, I prayed a prayer. The prayer was, uh, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go and I'll do whatever you want me to do. A week later, I got a phone call from a friend who invited me to Wichita, Kansas to help start a church. A couple of months in, I was in a basement worshiping with some friends. One of those friends who I only knew for maybe two months said, Hey, I know this is weird, but the Lord wants me to take you somewhere. And so we get in a car and we drive for like 30 minutes out into the middle of the woods, y'all. I don't know this guy from whatever, right? Lisa's like, no way. I'm on the way and I'm pissed. I'm like, number one, you interrupted my worship. Number two, I don't want to die tonight. And so we get out to at night into the forest and uh, we go walk out. And so he gives me a word about the river. It's like the winter and uh, it's cold outside. It snowed. And so we're out in the forest and the trees look dead. And, and so he points to the river and he's like, the Lord's saying that, you know, rivers don't cut, uh, cut paths, um, overnight it's over time. And, you know, it's the rushing water. It's that power that does it and forms the path and the power of the spirit in your life will move and cut things out of the way and take you where you need to go. And he's like, these trees look dead, but they're alive. And there will come a time where they'll bud and they'll be fruitful. And the Lord's saying that about you, right? I mean, he's just giving me this word, like, boom, like, whoa. And so we get back in the vehicle and we're driving and I'm close. I'm closing my eyes, just kind of connecting with the Lord. I'm like, that was crazy. And I was like, Lord, is there anything else you want to show me? And on the, the screen of my mind, I saw a vision of a dream that I had some years before where I was driving down a dirt road. There were like potholes in the road, um, holes in the road, and they were filled with water. I thought it had been raining and it was really bumpy. And I could tell it was in the passenger side, looking outside of a window. And he reminded me of that dream and I opened my, my eyes, mm, excuse me, Woo! And I'm driving down a dirt road and there are puddles filled with water because the snow was melting. And I knew right there that I was right where I needed to be. And so when the scripture says the Lord will show you things to come, he will show you things to come, whether in a vision, whether in a dream, or whether he speaks it to you. This is no lie. And it's by the spirit of God. I didn't open the scriptures and read about a dream some guy had where he was driving down a road and a, you know what I'm saying? I'm so passionate about this stuff. I'm so passionate about us getting things in order in our lives concerning the role of the spirit and the role of scripture and what is possible with the interaction of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. What he can say, what he can do, what is possible. It's possible that the spirit will show you things to come. It's possible that Jesus has things to say to you. And he's going to do it because he's going to tell the spirit and the spirit's only going to do and say what he's getting from from Jesus, which comes from the father, because all that Jesus has is also the father's. And so real quick, Matthew 23, eight through 12, but you are not to be called rabbi for one is your teacher and you are all brothers and call no man on earth, your father for one is your father who's in heaven, nor are you able to be called teachers for one is your teacher, the Messiah but the greatest among you shall be your servant. 
Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is again making a case for one source of truth in your life. He says it's going to be the spirit. He says, call no man teacher. You've got one. Call no man father. You've got one. Call no man rabbi. You've got one. What's interesting about that word rabbi is that a rabbi is a teacher. A rabbi is just a certified teacher. It's like, pastor so-and-so m div blah 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 whatever so i'm i'm teaching right but then imagine if i said okay well the reason you guys need to listen to me today is because i went to uh master's university and i have a, a diploma in christian ministry i'm not saying those things are bad but this is me trying to say you should rely on me as a source of truth because of my certifications jesus looked at the certified teachers of the day who were stamped and marked with the approval. They had the title, they had the pedigree, they had the clothes and the robes and everything to say, look at me, I am an authority of truth. And he said, don't call them rabbi. Don't look to them as your source of truth. He often said to the Pharisees, do what they say, but don't do what they do because they were teaching some things that were true about the law, but he's saying, don't be like them. So there are some things that people say that are true, but we're not to look to be like them essentially. So real quick, um, what is, if we're to call no man father, teacher, instructor, instructor, what's the role of a teacher real quick. I just want to talk about this. Um, I believe that teaching is leading or teaching is guiding. Um, and so the, the word for teacher there in the Greek is kathogetes. Um, and it means, um, to uh, properly a leader or someone bringing others down the road of learning by giving needed instruction. So my hope and my role in this, again, this journey, a scriptural journey, I'm going to lead you through something. I'm going to lead you down a path. I'm going to present instances. I'm going to talk about things. And ultimately, I just want you to go to him and say, Lord, what am I supposed to do with all of this? I just want to help guide. I just want to ask questions. I just want to present a case. I don't want you to look at me and say, well, Jason said, and so now, no, I, none of that. Look, you are in control of your own journey, your own faith and your own belief. And if you're a child of God, the spirit lives inside of you and is your primary teacher is your primary guide. And so some of the things I'm saying, you might be like, "Ugh," you might be getting checks. You got to wrestle with that. I've had to wrestle with things year after year and read things and, and, and the Lord is leading me and guiding me by his spirit. And so I am where I am because he's led me there and I don't claim to know it all. I don't claim that I've arrived, none of that stuff, but really I've had an experience and all I'm wanting to do is kind of share some of that experience and journey to help lead you down a path into discovery. But I want you to take what's being said and discover on your own. I'm not saying, Hey, here's the discovery. I'm saying there's a discovery to be had. Now let's get pointed in that direction. And then you tell me where you end up. And so real quick, um, let me get through the rest of the scripture if I can, and then we'll go for a Q and a. So John five, uh, hold on Matthew six, 13 through 18. So I just say, I call this Peter gets some heavenly revelation. So we all know, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or prophet. And so then Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And so Yeshua said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. So basically he's saying you did not rely on a man or a woman or a teacher or a rabbi to reveal to you the truth about who I am. It has been given to you by my father who's in heaven. So Peter had heavenly revelation of Jesus as the Messiah. And he says, also, I tell you that you're Peter and upon this rock, I'll build my community or my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. So basically saying, Peter, the fact that you had an ear to hear the truth of who I am from the father, from heaven, that makes you my child. That makes you my church. That makes you my people. Is not a child of God one who hears from the father? And so I think that's what the church is built on. The church is built on a group of people who have relationship with God in heaven. Yes, we receive revelation about who, who Jesus is, but we have relationship with him by his spirit so that there's communion and there's back and forth and there's a speaking and there's a relationship that happens. That's the church, y'all. People all over the world who are having instances and experiences where the, the spirit of God is revealing them things to them and is showing them things to come. These are the people of God. Somebody might get something that's just like way out of our realm of understanding, but just because somebody gets something that we don't understand doesn't mean that it's not from God. If I were to talk to the ministry of interior, I couldn't even tell you what that person does. And they started talking about the things that they do as a minister of interior They'd be speaking a different language, but just because I don't understand what they're saying and I've never seen it in action or held that position doesn't mean what they're saying and doing isn't true. You see what I'm saying? So, um, John five, 39 through 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus basically says, the scriptures are not your source of life. I am your source of life. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. So let me just say that Jesus was correcting a way that people were searching the scriptures. And I would just ask you to consider the reason behind your searching the scriptures. And I'm not saying you're doing it wrong. There's not a right or wrong thing. I'm saying that the Lord looked at an instance and there was Bible study that was going on that was done in a way that was not life-giving. That's a better phrase than what I was going to say. And so I would take that to the Lord. So last thing, Jesus invites us to yoke up, Matthew eleven twenty-five 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. There is revelation that has not been given to the wise and the learned but given to and revealed to little children. We have to be open. We have to be open to say, Father, I want to know what you want me to know. I want to hear what you want me to hear. I want to see what you want me to see. I want you to be my father. I have one father, I have one teacher, I have one rabbi, it's you. Would you be my source of truth? I want to be like a little child. I want to humble myself. I want to get rid of the mentality that I, that I think that I know everything that I adequately know right from wrong. I know all things about all things concerning faith and theology and doctrine. Like we have to come like children and say, 
father, right? What do children do? What is that? What is that? Why? Why? How does that work? How do you, why do people do that? Where that, where, who, what, when, where, why, what, who, why, 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 why? These are what kids are like. Do you know why they're asking questions? Because they don't have the answers and they know who their source of truth is. They know who their source of knowledge is. We have to be like that. I would encourage you, would encourage you to consider that even more and say, Father, have I come to you as a child or do I come thinking I know it all, right? We, something happens in our life and we think we've got it figured out so we don't go to the Lord and then it doesn't go the way we thought it would. And then we go to the Lord and we're just like, can you fix this? And then we have to say, I have no idea how it's going to happen. But a lot of times we think we have an idea or we think we know. And it's that knowledge apart from Yahweh as the source that gets us into trouble and that brings death. So Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those whom the son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. This is an invitation that Jesus is giving us even now. All who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and I will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's speaking to a group of people in front of religious leaders who have been burdened by the yoke of religion, burdened by the law, burdened by the knowledge of good and evil, burdened by the do this and don't do that, burdened by the tradition of man. And he sees the weariness and the exhaustion of these people who only want to do what is right, but have lived in such a way, not in a way that they're free, you are free too, not in a, in a way that they're free to do things, but in a way that they are yoked, that they can't do things, right? And so Jesus invites us to take his yoke upon him and learn from him. And so that's what this first week is about. It's just us saying again, yes to Yahweh, saying or, or presenting ourselves again to him and saying, I want to learn from you. I want to be yoked to you. I want to find rest for my soul. I want what you are offering. And so Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You know, this issue of mixture, it's purity. And it's it. this word, it, I think this, this scripture in this instance is more about us going to the father, not like I've never sinned. I've never done this. I've never done that. I'm super holy. I deserve whatever. No, it's blessed are the pure in heart. Those who are without mixture. And a lot of times that mixture that gets added in is self is pride. Knowledge puffs up. We think we know we right. And so Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a humbling of ourselves and then going to the father. And so when we have that pure heart, we have that pure source of truth in our lives, we actually get to see God for who he is because what has happened over time is people have presented God in a way that he is absolutely not. And so when we take what they've said and we believe that as truth, we don't see God for who he truly is. We see a version of who they thought he was and it's a mixture and it's not pure. God wants to reveal to us in the purest form who he is and that we see him for his love and his mercy and his grace. We see him as father. I mean, when I say like, I don't have the words to express the love of a father for us. I can try so hard 
That's what a lot of scripture is. We're trying to voice an experience we had from the father. Revelation is John trying to talk about what things were like. It was like a sea of glass. It was like a this. It was like a that. I don't really have the words for it. I'm going to try and describe it, right? We can see the father for who he truly is when he is our primary source of the truth of who he is. So what is possible? It is possible to source from God alone for all truth and see him. So to answer the question, then what role does the Bible, the scripture play in our lives? It, it is an arrow. An arrow points to a destination. A lot of people, it, how silly would it be if we stopped at the arrow? Hey, I'm trying to get to the Colosseum. Well, the Colosseum is that way. And instead of going to the Colosseum, we just stopped at the arrow and thought we'd arrived at the Colosseum. The scripture points us to Yahweh. We go to Yahweh. We don't stop at the scripture and think that we've experienced and known the Father. It points us there. It points us there. I read about a loving God. I read about Jesus who was nailed on a cross. And to those who had ripped out his beard and stripped him naked and played dice for his clothing, look down on people who were murdering him and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I don't say, oh, what a wonderful story. I want to read that story 40 times. I close the book and I go to Jesus and I say, my gosh, I don't know this love. How do I give the love that you gave? I don't just read the story and over and over again because it's cool, right? So I never know how to end these things other than that's all I've got for the teaching portion. Do you have any questions? <laughs>